Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go. Good Wednesday afternoon to you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Two things before we go any farther. First of all, thank you to all of you who listened yesterday, who had positive thoughts, who offered prayers, and who made donations uh, for our friend JT, our colleague JT, uh, to uh, help with uh, offset the expenses for his ongoing fight uh, against cancer as he gets set to uh, head to Houston. You were so incredibly generous. The donations continued uh, in the evening, uh, overnight, and into the morning, and uh, we are at uh, about $40,000 raised for JT, which is uh, $10,000 north of the uh, the stated goal going into uh, into yesterday's celebration of JT. So thank you for that. Number one, and number two, for those of you who have served or are serving in our United States Armed Forces, be it the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, uh, or any other branches related to the military who have made that choice to serve out of your own free will, we cannot say thank you enough. And saying thank you is not adequate uh, Veterans Day is a day that uh, is special. It feels a little bit different this year because of the crazy circumstances of the world in which we live, uh, but that does not diminish our thanks and our eternal gratitude to you uh, for your service to our country. For those who have paid the ultimate price, uh, we certainly cannot say thank you enough. And for those who are willing to pay the ultimate price, if that is um, what is required of them, it's, uh, it's a sacrifice that uh, so few are willing to make and honor, uh, uh, all, all of the honor is uh, is deserved that goes to those who have chosen that. Hey, Dad, one of the things that I love about your podcast, uh, that every single time you, uh, you start the Thunder and Lightning podcast, uh, you recognize the men and women who are serving, and I think that's a really cool thing that you do, not just on Veterans Day or a couple of times a year when we are specifically thinking about the military, but that's part of every show you do. Yeah, it's it's... Something I just started doing, just sort of, you know, I didn't really think anything about it. And then a couple of people tweeted at me, they're like, hey, we really appreciate that. And then he started getting tweets from people who are like, yeah, I listen all the time in, in Afghanistan or I'm in Saudi Arabia or I'm in Korea or wherever. So I'm like, man, you know, I'm a part of those people's day. So yeah, thanks always. Very, very cool. And Borky, I think probably all of us to some degree uh, have a family member or a close friend or someone. Who has served in the armed forces in uh, in some branch of the military, and it's uh, it's uh, certainly a special thing. It is, yeah, a dear friend of mine. Uh, actually, well, two of them uh, in high school. One of which uh, served right away, uh, right out of high school. And so, uh, I'm in college, you know, doing what college kids do, and 
uh, you hear stories about where where Spencer was and what he was doing, and and it was really humbling knowing that uh, 18, 19 year old him um, was doing what he was doing and chose yeah. to do so it was pretty remarkable. And then another friend uh, who went to West Point and hearing about not not just like his because he played football at West Point as well, but hearing about his day and stuff like that is pretty remarkable. I mean, how much you had to balance at West Point, and then immediately what follows. And where he had to go and what he's had to do since then as an officer yeah. in the Army. It's um, it's hard to fathom because these are people that were, you know, alongside me growing up and, and good friends and we hung out together and then they went on to do remarkable things that it's hard for me to grasp how important and special these two guys are. Yeah. I, uh, sim- similar uh, story there. I-, I guess, first of all, my grandfather on my mother's side served in the Coast Guard and uh, my grandfather on my dad's side of the family served in the air force and so there is a legacy of service there but more recently to to your exact point one of my very best friends from high school um uh became part of uh, the united states marine corps and uh, served in iraq and afghanistan and it was uh it was not a pleasant experience and you know there's there's difficulty that goes along with it i do think it was a rewarding experience for him uh, but I don't think pleasant is the way to uh, to describe war by any stretch. And then Jane's cousin, uh, who feels like family to me now, uh, went to West Point. One of the most moving experiences of my life, and, and there you know a couple that I can point to, um, you know beyond the birth of my children and the day that I got married, uh, was attending John's graduation at West Point. Uh, we made that trip. You know, it was one of those things that four years out, we said, "Okay, when he graduates from West Point, we're going." And it was uh, it was a, a rainy, cold, nasty day in May, uh, but to uh, to see that um, that ceremony happen, to see them in their uh, their full dress uniforms, uh, to accomplish that, and uh, for him to now go on, he you know what six, seven, eight years removed, I guess at this point uh, from graduation at West Point, he flies uh, helicopters. And is, I mean, you want to talk about ongoing training? He flies Blackhawks, and I can't remember the division, but it's the um, it, it's the group that goes and gets the special ops guys into and out of the top, the hot spots. That's what he's training to do, and it's really remarkable. And we know many of you that listen. Uh, our buddy Jason uh, at the top of the list, who has been a daily listener to this show for many, many years, is a uh, is a veteran to all of you who are listening, who have served. Thank you for that. So, ceasefire text line is open. If you want to be part of the conversation? You can do so on the ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five six zero one eight seven nine. Four three nine five bull. There's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal: the best plan for one or two lines, forty five dollars each, with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Ceasefire.com. And uh, we, as always, would love to hear from you on the Ceasefire text line. Um, I guess more postponement news is where we start. As we stand right now on Wednesday knowing that there is another round of testing for the six SEC programs, I guess everybody, but especially for the six that are still scheduled to play games this weekend, there's another round of testing tomorrow in which the results will come back on Friday. As it stands right now, Vanderbilt against Kentucky on the SEC Network at 11 o'clock Central, Arkansas-Florida on ESPN at 6, 
and South Carolina Ole Miss on SEC Network at 6.30. Those are the only games that we've got this weekend. Georgia-Missouri, postponed. Texas A&M-Tennessee, postponed. Alabama-LSU, postponed. And am I missing one? I guess yeah, just the Mississippi State game. Sorry. That had already actually been taken off the schedule that I was looking at because it was earlier in the week when it was kind of the very first that was postponed this week. So it was, it Mississippi was State on Monday. Yeah. Is, the, uh, is the other one. Yeah, I was looking at the college press box. They've got kind of a matrix of the games. They show the announcers and have links to all the notes and whatnot. That one had actually already been removed from the list because it was postponed so early in the week. But Georgia-Missouri was the one, I guess, that was uh, announced today. And Borky, one positive test at Missouri? Uno. Or one Singular. New? One positive test canceled this game. Now, in fairness, it did it, the contact tracing and all that from this test happened in one room, and that room happens to be one where there was a suspension stemming from the fight in the Florida game. Also oh, noted that Dan Mullen uh, was able to coach on Saturday, but this, this player... Uh, could not play, but yeah, one positive test. That's it. And um, according to one of our friends at Texags, it is two, two positive tests at Texas A&M that have canceled a football game at Texas A&M. If the SEC does not lax its contact tracing regulations, finishing a season is going to be tough. Greg Sankey spoke on that today, and he said, "Look, the, the contract, uh, the contact tracing guidelines are not our guidelines. They are not." conference guidelines. They are national as proposed by the CDC, state as put in place by governors, and then local. And so, you know, what, what whatever the superseding set of guidelines is, those are the ones that are in place. And so if Bryan College Station, if Columbia, Missouri, if, you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, wherever – has guidelines that are in place that you know mandate specific quarantining and whatnot, then uh, that's what you got to go with. And that happened to Cal. Hey, that that's exactly what happened to Cal. You're and right. Why their opening game got canceled? It had nothing to do with available players. It was a local mandate. Um, the NFL is able to get around this, I assume, because it's a professional organization and not uh, publicly funded to some degree institutions. But Ben Roethlisberger, if he was playing in the SEC would have to miss at least this game and possibly the next one, but because he was just a close contact and hasn't tested positive, he can play Sunday as long as he turns out a couple of negative tests before the game. So it's it's a shame that this is happening to the SEC when the NFL has the opportunity to test out of a quarantine when you're not positive at all, and that's happening to Ben Roethlisberger right now. As we stand right now, there are eight games that have been either postponed or canceled. And you go, well, that's a big number. And it may end up being a bigger number than that when it's all said and done, but you've got to realize we've got more teams playing right now than we've had playing at any point in the season. Cancellations have been in the 15 to 20% range each week of the season so far, and that's still where we are. So the numbers are not out of whack. The difference is we're talking about cancellations and postponements in the SEC and the Big Ten and teams that we know, and it feels a little bit different. A fun guest list coming up this afternoon on the Farm Bureau phone line. Not quite there yet, but uh, some uh, cool stuff to get to. The NBA draft 
is getting very, very close. And we are going to talk to a guy who Mr. Haydad is likely going to hear his name called during the draft. The question is, will he be a lottery pick? Robert Woodard, former star at Mississippi State, who is now uh, getting ready to begin his professional career, going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Look forward to that conversation. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. He was always a, a good guy to talk to up here in Starkville. Real grounded kid. To begin the 4 o'clock hour, we will turn our attention to Augusta. Jim Gallagher Jr. will join us as he almost always does prior to the start of a major. I always enjoy the insight from uh, Jim. And, man, you, you talk about different. It's going to feel different. It's going to look a little different. The golf course is going to play a little bit different. Not so much because it's November versus April, but because it looks like it is about to start raining a lot in Augusta over the next three, four, five days. Yeah, so today they actually pulled the players off the course because of some incoming weather. Tomorrow they expect thunderstorms. Friday and Saturday should be okay. And Sunday the weather forecast is a.m. showers. And they'll play right through that. So you yeah. could have a very interesting week. And I mean, the, the biggest storyline going into this is Bryson. I mean, he's the story. Is how is he going to attack this golf course? Because Augusta National is, I mean, we talk about it every time the Masters comes around. It's pretty wide open. There are a lot of places to miss at Augusta, generally speaking. And yeah. somebody with his length can really miss in a lot of places. So was he just going to be a brute and just overpower this golf course? But then also, finesse is really what gets you around Augusta. You can have all the power in the world, but if you're not putting well, if you're not good around the greens, if you're not putting yourself in good position off the tee, you're going to have a hard time winning. So that was going to be such a fascinating storyline, and we may not get 385 carry Bryson when it's storming and raining out. That's a shame. Yeah, it is going to be interesting to see. I was listening to a a golf podcast. I think it was the No Laying Up podcast, and one of the things they were talking about was the the 13th hole and how – uh, especially on the weekend, it is one of the most unique and fascinating and maybe greatest holes in all of tournament golf uh, because you're talking about a par five and you've got options there. You can blow it out to the right and flirt with the pine trees and leave yourself having to pull off a miraculous shot a la Phil Mickelson from the pine trees. You can try and bend it around the corner but you've got the creek that runs along the left side of the fairway on 13, and if you get over there, if you bend it in just the right spot, you get to basically the only flat spot on 13 fairway, and it gives you the opportunity to attack from there. But if you overcook it just a little bit, you're dead. If you hit it out into the middle of the fairway, you're going to have a long shot into the green. Um Bryson, I guess it was on Monday of this week, hit three wood off the tee, and he had a seven iron into the green. The next day in the practice round, he hit three drives. Uh, with one of them, he had like 130 in. With one of them, he had like 118 in. And in one of them, he left it in the trees, left, and was completely dead. So the strategy is different, but your point's a great one. I mean, he played number one earlier this week. Bryson DeChambeau did. And he had 68 yards into the ground. That's unbelievable. I, you know, it's hard to fathom. And those tees are different than the members' tees. Oh, yeah. They're way back there. Uh, there, are only, there are only two sets of tees at Augusta. 
It's not the the golds and the blues and the whites and the reds and the you know the seniors and whatever. There are the members tees, and there are the tournament tees. And you know how many times the members come at the people that that is their home course get to play from the tournament tees? The answer is never. <laughs> they don't. Just imagine what it would be like if you were back there. Thank you. I mean, you can you can go back there and look, but you don't get to hit a shot from there. It's just not how it works. You mentioned 13. So um, after you're done listening to Sports Talk, if you are interested in the Masters more, I'm going to recommend a podcast episode for you. It, okay. was, it was from No Laying Up, and yep. it was last week. They had Mark Leishman's caddy on. And he had three yardage books from the previous three times they played at Augusta and handed it to each host. And they went hole by hole describing the notes he wrote and everything, every hole. It was incredible. I, I was so, fa- I've never been more fascinated in a podcast other than the one we produce in my life. <laughs> On 13, he said, But you're an Augusta junkie now. I am. So, and you have been for a long time. If you're interested in the Masters, listen to it because it's incredible. But he said, On 13, on the trees to the left of the tee box, there is some kind of a wire or a rope <laughs> yeah. that, that is in the trees. <laughs> yeah. And as the week goes on, they tighten the rope to, to pull the limbs of the trees down, making that tee shot more difficult. He said, you True can't statement. see it on TV. You, you, the patrons have no idea, but when you're standing on the tee box, sure enough, if you look to the left, there is a rope up in the trees that they tighten every day to make that shot more difficult. Yeah. Crazy. It really is. Uh, it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, hey, Dad, I, I know you're not necessarily the biggest golf nut, but you probably saw the video that was rolling around yesterday. John Rahm, one of the things they do in the practice rounds, as is tradition at Augusta, on 16, which is a, uh, you know, it, 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 it has produced some of the greatest theater in golf, but it's not that difficult of a golf hole. It's just really not. It's got water between the tee box and the green, and what they do during practice rounds is they skip it across. And John Rahm skipped it three times across the water, started it up the right side of the green, it rolled way back, it caught the slope on the right side, it made a left-hand turn, and then doggone if that thing didn't roll all the way into the cup. Yeah, that was something to behold. I had never seen that. So I have a question, though. Talking about okay. this, the, the, the tees. So are, there, are, the, are the Masters tees only out there for the Masters tournament? No, the tee boxes are there all the time. But you just so, can't. so you so you you can see them, obviously. So if, if, if Tiger just says, "Hey, I'm going to Augusta this weekend," does he allowed to play on those tees, or does he have to play yeah, the members? Yes, team? yes. When the pros practice there, they're allowed to use those tees. No, I'm not talking about this weekend. I'm just talking about like a random weekend. He's like, "I'm going to go play a round of golf at Augusta." At Augusta, he's allowed to use those tees. Yes, when, when, okay. when professionals play by a different set of rules. Now, one thing that's interesting, Tiger Woods cannot go and play Augusta by himself. He's got to have a member with him. Um, okay. You know, some of the member, amateurs... That, and the member that, has uh, to play from the other tees? Yes, the member plays from the other tees. Man, these are some rules, man. I know, right? <laughs> That's crazy. And, and, and I don't know that necessarily they are unwritten... I, I I guess they're probably unwritten. I don't know. Maybe they're written Based down somewhere. Based on what I know of Augusta, they're probably written down in, in permanent ink somewhere. It is it is abundantly clear what you do and, and what you don't do. So I, I think I've mentioned this in passing. I've certainly never made a, a big deal out of it. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, earlier this year, right before the world kind of came to an end, 
to um, to get to play it. And it is the most, it was a religious experience. Um, it, it, just the, the way everything works there, the way everything is. But, but here's the thing about Augusta. It's not stuffy. And, and I mean, I guess it probably could be stuffy. But if the member that you are playing with is kind of what they're supposed to be, which is a gracious host, then they make you feel at home. And it's just an absolutely, it's everything that you could imagine it would be, and then more, and then some. And just a really, really cool deal. Look forward to talking with uh, Jim Gallagher uh, about it coming up later this afternoon because uh, Jim has played it multiple times in the tournament setting and uh, has told us the story before about uh, about leading after the uh, after the first round. What year was that, Borky? Was that 1995? I'm making that up. I'll have to fact check you on that, but that sounds right. Yeah, it was early midnight. Maybe it was 93. Uh, Jim had a run in the in the early 90s where he really was playing well. Uh, won multiple times on uh, on tour, uh, part of the Ryder Cup, and uh, just a, a fantastic guy all the way around. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. There was another college football game that was postponed today that grabbed some national headlines, and that was Ohio State's game against Maryland. So these are the games across the country that have been postponed this weekend. Alabama LSU postponed. Ohio State Maryland canceled. And we knew that that was going to be the case in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and maybe the Mountain West and some of the other conferences, conferences, the MAC, that went with later starts because they didn't have the wiggle room within their schedule. Texas A&M at Tennessee postponed. Georgia at Missouri postponed. Auburn at Mississippi State postponed. Same thing for Memphis at Navy cancellation, Air Force at Wyoming, and then a postponement in the Sun Belt, uh, Louisiana Monroe at Arkansas State. So uh, those are the games that have been either postponed or canceled, a total of eight so far. We hope that that is the final number, but um, I don't know. That feels a little optimistic. You've got uh, three Maction games coming up tonight, Eastern Michigan at Ball State, Toledo at Western Michigan, and Central Michigan at Northern Illinois. Three games that happened last night, including a blowout in Buffalo, 52-10, to Buffalo over Miami of Ohio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, glad to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. First time on Sports Talk Mississippi, Robert Woodard II, former Mississippi State Bulldog, who is soon to be a professional basketball player. Robert, really appreciate a few minutes of your time. First of all, man, congratulations on getting to this point in your career and what I've got to believe has been a a lifelong dream and a a pursuit for you. Yes, sir, for sure. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, Of course, like this has been a dream come true for me to have it finally be a week away. It's something I've definitely been working on for a long time, so I'm definitely uh, happy that it's finally happening. Robert, when's the first time that that you can remember – in your basketball career, thinking, I legitimately have a chance to be an NBA player one day? 
Um, I would say it was my eighth grade year in middle school, transitioning into the ninth grade as a freshman. That's when I realized, okay, I have pretty good potential to be a pretty good basketball player. And, you know, things were kind of in my favor uh, as far as USA basketball and those type type deals. So it definitely boosted my confidence to finally realize, hey, if you put the work in, you'll be able to make it to the top level. And and isn't it interesting because there's so many guys that play basketball, so many all across the country who all have the same dream. They, they want to play in the NBA one day. And everybody maybe at some point convinces themselves, oh, I could be an NBA player. But for most people, that's just a pipe dream. But you were saying a second ago, you, you put in the work, you realize the potential is there. It's still a long way off. But actually getting to this point where you're on the precipice of hearing your name called, it's got to be a cool deal. For sure. It definitely feels unreal. It hasn't hit me yet, honestly. Um, but, you know, I think it'll finally hit a couple of days within, you know, finally having my name called. But it's something that, you know, everybody doesn't get the chance to get their name called and things of that nature. So I just see it as a blessing. Uh, it definitely feels good. What's this process been like? I mean, th- this obviously has been a year unlike any other, and-, and I know that it's made getting ready for the draft. Just the date of the draft is, is so far different than what it's been in the past. So so kind of walk us through what the last few months since March, when you last played a game, competitively have been like. It's been very, very long. I will say that. Uh, very <laughs> long and mentally challenging for the most part. You know, um, Because starting off, we kind of had a feeling that you know, possibly the date would stay the same and things of that nature. And then we realized the NBA wanted to start up, and then they had, like, two, three other more dates that they were throwing around. So it was just like, you know, you're training all this time just for the date to get pushed back. So uh, it was definitely a challenge having to stay mentally focused and self-disciplined and those type deals. But I will say I enjoyed the whole process, being able to work out for seven or eight months. It definitely made me a, a better player than I was when I left Mississippi State. Hey, Robert, it's Brian. Hey, Dad. We got to talk to Coach Howland uh, just yesterday, and he said that he's been talking to some scouts and saying that you've been doing really well in the interview process with, with all these teams. What is that process like? What, what do they ask you when, when they get to talk to you one-on-one? Well, they just they mainly want to know uh, my upbringing, how I was as a child, uh, family background, those type things. And then they ask me some basketball questions like, what can I contribute? Uh, why do I feel like I'm ready to make this transition? What will be the the hardest um, transition for me to make from uh, being a college player to being a professional basketball player. Uh, just pretty much trying to see how I can help the team and how I am all the way uh, as an all-around guy. Do they ask a lot of questions about your guitar playing? Um, some teams have brought it up. Uh, <laughs> I will say that they do ask um, about the guitar playing. You know, Robert, you, your pops was a pretty good player as well. What were uh, what, what were those games like? When was the first time, you know, in the driveway, one on one, in the gym, one on one, where you're you were like, uh, "All right, I, I can take you now, Dad." Oh man, <laughs> it took a long time. Uh, I it was honestly, I really didn't start beating him consistently until I got to high school, and he started. He he got a step slow, so. <laughs> uh, I gained a step on him, but you know he always he kept me humble um, out in the front yard or wherever we played our one on ones at. 
What was that relationship like, uh, having someone who had been a very successful basketball player as a, as a father figure, as a teacher, as probably a coach uh, some along the way, and, and as a friend? It's, it's, man, it's been great. Um, I can't begin to tell you how appreciative I am of my father. Uh, he's been here every step of the way supporting me when I played baseball, basketball, soccer, whatever it might have been. But just so happened I turned out to stick with basketball, and that was, I guess, probably a dream come true for him. But having that mentor, um, somebody to teach me all about the game, uh, how to be a great player all the way around, as well as teaching me things off the court, you know, it's been truly a blessing, and he's still teaching me things. So I'm very appreciative of him. What kind of a baseball player player were you, Robert? I think I was a fairly good baseball player, honestly. Um, it was just Baseball started to conflict with basketball, so I just kind of hung it up. But I really do enjoy it. Hey, forgive me for this, because I'm not trying to take you down the baseball road, but if you had stuck with baseball and, and you had committed to it the way that you had committed to basketball, could you have been a college baseball player? Do you think you could have found yourself playing baseball professionally? And the reason I ask is I think about you from a body type standpoint, you, you, you kind of look like a couple of those guys that are wearing pinstripes now and, and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, Stanton who don't look like the typical baseball player. Right. Honestly, I do think I would have made it to the college level um, just because I played it so long, played a lot of travel baseball. It was, I feel like I played more baseball as a kid than I did basketball because we were always mm-hmm. traveling during the summers and things like that. But, yeah, I feel like I was a pretty good player i had a good glove um versatile could play almost any position on the field but except for like catcher and third base <laughs> balls, were, balls were coming in a little too hot for me to go to third but um yeah I, I do feel like i had a legitimate chance robert has there been any one team you've had more contact with than, than others um not really the most i've talked to teams is uh two times um, and I've talked to quite a few teams uh, twice. So there's no, not really a team that I've been in contact with um, more than anybody else, but I'm pretty sure my agents have been talking to teams and they've been telling me what they've been hearing and things like that. And So that's pretty much how it's been. Robert, I'm not going to paint you into a corner and trying to get you to say, hey, this is the team I'd like to go for. That, that's a really bad idea the week before the draft. But I am curious – what the feedback has been like that you've gotten from teams? What do they tell you that they like? What do they tell you that they want to see you get better at? Uh, teams want me – well, I start with the uh, improvements, um, things okay. I need to improve on. Teams want to see me handle the ball and be comfortable with the ball uh, in offensive situations, be more involved. Um, just being able to show that I'm comfortable on the offensive end and being able to direct traffic and those type deals. Um that was the main thing. They just wanted me to prove that, you know, I'm a great ball handler and I can make good decisions on the offensive end. Uh, The things that they like, they like my defensive versatility um, on the defensive end, being able to switch to one, two, four, as well as possibly switching to the five on the next level. If teams are playing small ball or whatever the case might be, Uh, a consistent three-pointer, knocking down shots, and just being an all-around great player on the floor on on both ends of the court and a great teammate. What um, who's a good comp for what you are going to be in the NBA based on somebody that's there right now? Um, 
Starting off, because I'm realistic with myself, and I realize uh, coming into the NBA is not like I'm going to be a LeBron James first year or something like that. So starting off, I would have to compare it to Wesley Matthews, somebody who gets it done on both ends, who improved his uh, three-point percentage and things like that. He's become a very consistent player and a key piece to his team. All right, so you said starting off. Let, let's uh, let's project. Let's say you get drafted in a, in a great spot. You grow for three years. You, you feel comfortable. Uh, what about three, four years down the line? Hopefully in three or four years down the line, I could possibly, you know, try to be more like a Kawhi Leonard type role as far as offensively and defensively because he's guarding the best players whenever he's uh, going against teams as well as he's the main guy on the offensive end. So hopefully on down the line, whether it be three, four years, maybe five to seven, I'll uh, end up getting that role. If you end up being in that role, will you promise you'll come back and talk to us again? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. (laughs) I hope we can – yeah, I hope we can talk to you uh, regardless. I, I do want to ask you one last thing, and we'll let you go. Really appreciate your time, Robert, this afternoon, and we certainly wish you the best. I, I'm curious if your agent is is giving you a feel for where he thinks, based on the conversations he's having with teams, that, that you think you might end up. Yeah, so um, he's been telling me from since day one he sees me going anywhere from the 20 to 40 range, and honestly that okay. hasn't changed. I honestly feel like it might improve considering uh, after the combine. Um, the numbers and things of that nature. So we'll just have to see. Uh, it's been consistent the whole way through, so I really appreciate the hard work out of my agents from getting me for getting me good information. Absolutely. Certainly realistic information as well is always good. Robert, so much. Uh, we wish you all the best. We appreciate your time this afternoon. It's going to be uh, fun to watch your career continue to develop. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That's Robert Woodard II, former Mississippi State star, on his way to the NBA. Draft just a week away. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. The commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, jumped on the um, SEC teleconference today. He uh, talked after all 14 coaches... um, all 14 coaches went, and then uh, Greg Sankey had his turn. Have you guys read the transcript, or did you listen to it at all? Did not listen, but quotes. I have seen what he said, yeah. Yeah. Anything stand out to you? He took an odd I mean, shot at people on Twitter. I thought that was kind of uncharacteristic of him. Doesn't run the conference based on Twitter? Yeah, like, we know, Greg. Everybody knows that. I thought that was kind of bizarre, but um, otherwise, I mean, the contact tracing deal he acknowledged is the problem here, but, I mean, everybody kind of saw this coming. Maybe it wasn't, there wasn't anything they could do about it, but, um, you know, speaking the obvious. And then also, his comment of, I'm not going to speculate on how all these outbreaks happened. (laughs) I know he knows how they happened, but (laughs) I appreciate the candor there. Yeah, you, you can't get kids away from Halloween parties. I know that sounds silly to you adults out there, but a bunch of college kids realize that Halloween is the, is one of the nights of the semester. You couldn't get them away from going to Halloween parties, and now you've got a bunch of bunch of this going around. It's no coincidence. I guess, I, I guess I'm crazy or old or forgetful or whatever. I just don't remember Halloween being that big of a deal when I was in college. 
It was I'm surprised then Mississippi State has this problem because Halloween night they were playing in Alabama. They couldn't have gotten back in time for any Halloween parties. Now, Alabama doesn't have the problem because they were playing that night, so I don't know what happened with State. Yeah. Ole Miss played uh, at Vanderbilt on Halloween afternoon. It would have been late getting on. I mean, that's not. Yeah. Of course, that was going into an open date, so I don't know. It's not exclusively, but it's pretty easy to draw those conclusions. Yeah. The timing is, is perfect on that, and that would be the one night this year where you couldn't get 19-year-olds to say no. I know it's it, it. you don't remember Halloween being like that. I do. I mean, Halloween was one of our, our big days. So it adds up to me. Maybe part of the issue is I never liked Halloween. It's just like not my holiday at all, but whatever. Um, I, I thought that he was pretty candid with regard to man. This stuff's changing on a daily basis, and it sounds like they're open to just about anything. If they've got to push the SEC championship game back, that's not their plan right now. Their plan is to play on December nineteenth. And I tend to think that they're going to be able to do that because you're going to know the two teams who are involved. And you got to look at the standings, but I mean, look, Alabama's got a two-game lead over Texas A&M because they beat them head-to-head. So Texas A&M would have to lose twice. I'm sorry, Alabama would have to lose twice. That's probably not going to happen. And even though Florida has one loss, Georgia can't catch them. And they've got the head-to-head win over Georgia. And Georgia's already got a couple of losses, and there's nobody in the East that's going to catch them. So, I mean, it's while there's a little math that's still got to be done, it's basically a foregone conclusion that Alabama and Florida are going to play each other. Say what? They could catch catch them. Florida could somehow fall apart and lose two more games, and Georgia wins out. Then they would get in. (sighs) You see that happening? No, I don't see that. But to say that they can't catch them is not correct. Well, no, no. I'm sorry. I guess I was taking a little bit of poetic license. The remaining schedule for Florida is Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Tennessee. You going to count out Arkansas after all we've seen this year? Okay, give them a loss to Arkansas, but they've still got Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Tennessee on the schedule. I'm just saying it's all. They're not losing to Arkansas this week. They're not losing to hardly any of those games, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, anyway, point being in all of that, I think you're going to know well before December 19th that Alabama and Florida are going to play each other in the SEC championship game. And so you should be able to play that game on that day, and you can give yourself an extra week, as has been alluded to, that you could play more games in the SEC, like what the Big Ten is planning on doing, Pac-12 is planning on doing on championship Saturday. I'm okay so with that. So you could have... Huh? I, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. The games will still matter, at least to some of these teams, fighting for bowl games and whatnot. Yeah. On top of the absolute necessity to play these games to get any kind of money to try to salvage <laughs> your departments. That's it, and I know that continues to be part of the conversation. I'm just going to tell you, though. I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, so many people want to paint this as, oh, these players are being used. That's not really the reaction that I've gotten on Saturdays talking to players after the game. 
I don't think they feel used. I think they like playing football. They like playing football in the SEC. Jim Gallagher's next. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. You want to be part of the show? You can do so on the Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, particularly this next half hour if you have a golf question. Not because... Borky or Hey Dad or I have answers, but uh, the guy we're about to talk about or talk to just might. Jim Gallagher Jr. joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. I'll give you his credentials. Five-time winner on the PGA Tour. Uh, last win came in uh, 1995 at the FedEx St. Jude Classic. He was on the two, uh, 1993 uh, U.S. winning Ryder Cup team and the 1994 President's Cup team that also won. He's an analyst at the Golf Channel, but I think the title that he's most proud of these days is Grandpa. Jimmy G., what's up, my man? Oh, nothing. Uh, heading uh, to Knoxville. Going to stop in and see my son, Thomas. Got to see the grandbabies last week, so uh, or two weeks ago, I guess. Spent uh, about four or five days with them. and You're right, that's the most coveted, uh, other than my children, those are the... Uh, that's the most coveted trophies I have, no doubt. I yeah, uh, I certainly can uh, can understand that. Um, favorite memory for you from Augusta? What you got? You know, I, you know, it was really weird. I, I was driving up when I first went up Magnolia Lane. I was hosting inside the PGA Tour, and I was mic'd up and cameras, and it just wasn't the same as as your first time. But I guess just going through that whole first round. And then leading after the first round, uh, I would have to say that's kind of the one of those prize things that you'll never forget. Uh, I remember just how crazy your mind goes. I remember waking up, you know, nervous because back then they repaired after the first round. So I'm in the last group with Lanny uh, Watkins, who plays fast, and I'm so nervous. I'm thinking, don't be the guy that leaves the tournament and then misses the cut, uh, <laughs> which is crazy. You just played this great round, and now your mind's gone totally nuts. And I think. That's just what pressure does to people. Uh, but it was just one of those memorable weeks. Uh, Rolly Massimino, who coached at Villanova, is a family friend, and he had this little ritual every day where he would start at the top of the uh, bleachers when I'd hit balls, come down, shake my hand, and we just kept doing that every day. And it all of a sudden, it's like, he's my good luck charm. So I take him with me. So just so many great memories of that. The whole family was there. But uh, leading that first round, my first ever Masters, you know, I'll never forget that. I think you've told me about this before. Wasn't there a family member or someone who couldn't be there and you talked to them and they didn't believe that you were actually in the lead after round one? Yeah, it was my father-in-law. They weren't there, and my mother-in-law was driving over, and she was so sick with cancer, and they finally got her back over there. And I remember them calling. He had a truck phone back there, like a uh, way before cell phones, and he, he said, how'd you do it? And, and she had thought she heard on the radio that I was leading. It's not that he didn't believe I could do it. He just wasn't believing what he heard. I said, leading. He goes, oh, really? I said, yeah, we'll have to read it in the paper if you don't believe me. But uh, it was just kind of one of those. It's not that he didn't trust that I could do it. It was just, I think, you know, rookies just aren't supposed to do that. And, and, and he kind of doubted it for a second. Now, he'll deny that really happened. But uh, it sounds better that he, he totally wasn't so sure I was telling the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Jim Gallagher, Jr. on your radio Augusta Augusta National is synonymous with spring. The Masters is synonymous with spring. We get through the NCAA men's basketball tournament a week later. Uh, they're teeing it up in uh, in Georgia. Obviously, very very different this year. Do you think the golf course is going to look different? Is it going to play different? Is it going to be different? 
I think it's going to be a little bit of everything. It's obviously they're not going to be the patrons there. The bleachers aren't going to be there. So for the players coming up there where there's always that background, that's not going to be there. Of course, you've got the azaleas. I think, you know, obviously there'll be some leaves changing colors. I just think it's going to be a really wet golf course, especially with the four, uh, forecast coming up. The greens, they can kind of, you know, manipulate a little bit, take some of the moisture out. But I think it's just going to be a, the biggest thing is without the patrons. I think that's the biggest thing you're going to see other than how the golf course plays uh, the, as a factor. Because I think to the guys who've never been there, have never witnessed, and, and, and people who have been there, the roars that just go through the pines and through the valley down there, it's just amazing. And, and the energy uh, that the patrons and just the people right there kind of give to the players. I, I think we got a little taste of it last week in Houston when they let a couple thousand people out, and you can hear some clapping and nothing like an Augusta roar in the world. Anywhere, you cannot have anything like it. It's it's something different, and it, it's, it rents chills down through your veins. You're sitting there going down, oh, my gosh, somebody just made a move or somebody just made an eagle. Those are the things we're going to be missing Saturday and Sunday, and I think for the players, I think that's one of the biggest things you'll, you'll notice uh, this whole week. All right, Jim, so take me a little deeper on the Augusta Roar when you were playing. We we know that, that Arnie got those. We know that Jack got those, uh, certainly in, in 86 when Jack came back and, and won it again. We certainly know that that exists for Tiger Woods, maybe in a way that, that hasn't ever existed for any other player that has played there. But what about when you were playing? Was it were the the biggest roars reserved for for Greg Norman? Were they kind of across the board? Who who was it that kind of moved the needle with the fans in that ninety one to ninety six window when you were there? Yeah, I would say Greg Norman. I mean, Nicholas was still playing. I mean, he was competitive, but not you know at the level. I actually was paired with him one tournament. Uh, I think it was the second day or third day, and it was just the coolest thing to hear and witness a Jack Nicklaus roar. Uh, I was firsthand. And it wasn't like he was winning the tournament. That would have been even to another level. But just to hear how these people and the patrons just appreciated a Jack Nicklaus roar was completely different than anything else. An eagle roar is louder than a birdie roar. I know this all sounds crazy, but it's true. Uh, but certain people, now you'd have the tiger roars and the roar, the favorites of that. But, uh, until you've actually witnessed a Jack Nicholas roar, there's nothing like it. It was just amazing. Arnold Palmer probably would rival that because he was, you know, loved by everybody, uh, of course. I want two different answers for this. Your favorite spot on the golf course and your favorite spot on the golf course that nobody would expect. Mm, tough question. Uh, favorite place, probably uh, 12, back in there on the par three. Uh, I think that's just such a cool place, you know, with all the history and everything. Where people wouldn't expect, I think the par three golf course. That was my favorite place. Really? That was like, that was like, I would never, I wouldn't even hit balls. Now they, they don't, now they've got an incredible practice area. But before we just kind of hit it down there, I would spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday until there wasn't much play after the par three tournament every day playing the par three course over and over and over. It was just like, it was like heaven and just peaceful. And there wasn't any pressure. There was nobody out there. Nobody was allowed back there. They let my mom and dad come back here with me. But that was my place that you wouldn't even know that people would go to. I just felt like I could get a lot more accomplished uh, back there than just on the, on the practice area. 
You know, one of the things that, that's fascinating to me, people talk all the time that uh, until you've been to Augusta, you can't really appreciate the eleva- elevation change and, and how much, or how hilly the golf course is. You mentioned being there at 12. When you walk off 12 green and you're making your way around to 13 tee box, it's remarkable how far below kind of number one tee in the clubhouse you are at that particular spot on the golf course. You're exactly right. I took my son Thomas. I think he was a sophomore or junior in high school, and Larry Mize got him a ticket. I got in because I was a PGA Tour member, got my in for free. Uh, and we did this. We got in there first. We were like a third car to park. Uh, we got donuts and Dr. Peppers and all that stuff. And I said, Thomas, before we even see a shot, we need to go out and walk the golf course so you can just get the feeling with nobody out there at the golf course. And then we're going to walk every hole and watch a group play each hole. And I remember him walking down 10. He goes, oh, my gosh. And he looked at 14 green and he goes, Dad, you can't tell that's on TV. Uh, and just that whole walk down there, we basically walked 36, 45 holes that whole day, but I wanted him to walk it and take it all in without people being out there just to see the beauty. And like you said, the rolling hills, you never get a flat lie on the golf course. You can't tell that on TV. uh, And you you just can't imagine how difficult these greens are. I think if it was anywhere else, the guys might complain. Uh, Hmm. But because it's Augusta, it's just like, Hey, it's Augusta. It's just a special place. But I, 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 you're right. I think you really, for, you know, that's going to be the strange part. And it's been strange. Everybody knows how 2020 is. You know, these guys have gotten kind of used to not having fans out there. Uh, but Augusta is one of the places where you really have to have them. Jim Gallagher Jr. on your radio. We're going to talk about this year's tournament and some of the players to watch after the uh, break. I do want to ask you one last thing because you mentioned your son and, and kind of getting to have that experience with him. We've got about a minute until the break. What is it about Augusta? that leads to family connections because last year watching tiger i called my kids over and they're not going to sit still but i was like come and sit with me and we're going to watch this together on sunday afternoon yeah it's just the spring it's just something about the traditions uh and there's something about you know tradition of augusta that you pass on to your kids and just that this is where it's all about thomas and everybody's the same when you get there i think think we, we miss out on some of our traditions in our daily life. We get going so fast, and when you go think there, everything kind of slows down. Uh, but I just wanted him to see this is what your dad worked so hard for when I was gone traveling to be here and playing. I wanted you to see this as a grown-up. Well, that's, uh, that's a really cool story. we got more coming up with Jim Gallagher, Jr. In just a couple of minutes, we'll talk about the field and the fact that Tiger Woods is not the biggest story this year going in. Some guy named Bryson. We'll do that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday. Back with more with Jim Gallagher on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Jim, certainly appreciate your time this afternoon. I'm fascinated and without question, by this time tomorrow, 24 hours from now, uh, I could look like an idiot for even saying this, and it could change. But as of right now... On the eve of the Masters beginning, not only is Tiger Woods not the story coming in, he might not be in the top three or four storylines coming in. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, probably because he hasn't played that well since right. COVID. Uh, he hasn't really been in contention. He hasn't shown any form that would kind of tell us that, oh, he's close. Uh, 
uh, you know, people do things different when they get to Augusta, uh, but I think that's part of it. I think it's just everybody's just kind of keyed in and geared in towards Bryson and how far he's hit and how he's going to dominate the golf course. And yeah, to a point, I think there's some validity to that, but Wingfoot and Augusta are two different places. There's not the rough like you had at Wingfoot. Uh, and the weather's going to be a big part of that. I, I think there's several guys that are kind of under the radar, so to speak, compared to that. And it's always tough to be the favorite and, and, to, and to go out there and, and handle that. Uh, but, you know, Tiger just hasn't shown the, the form that would kind of tell us, like, oh, yeah, he could contend. That doesn't mean he's not going to have a good week, but I think that's why he's uh, not one of the top stories. I want to get back to Bryce in just a second, but I'm having trouble remembering. Did we feel like Tiger was displaying that form last year going into the tournament? Not, not. You're, you're, you're right. Uh, it did not quite. I don't, I don't know if it was as bad a form. <clears throat> he was actually playing pretty decent uh, up at that fall, but not to the form that he hasn't played enough golf this year. Yeah. I think that's the biggest part is he just hadn't played enough tournaments. And yeah, sure, I'm sure his body feels good and everything, but there's just something about playing competitive golf, getting the reps in. We hear it all the time. Uh, he's just like he'll play a week and then he's off for two or three. So I think he just hasn't got anything to kind of build some momentum. Is this the one place, though, where he could pull up, pull the sticks out of the trunk, and he's able to flip the switch because of all the great memories and all the positive, I don't know, thoughts that, that can go in his head? Oh, absolutely. Jack Nicholas won at, what, 46 years old when they thought he was washed <laughs> up and done. So, I mean, Augusta just has that. I mean, I guess you could do it at the British or in the Open Championship, but it's just there's something about guys who have had in the greats, the elite players like Tigers, that when they get there, something turns on. And, I mean, hey, after what I've seen him do in last year and the way he's played after all the injuries, I wouldn't count him out. But I think uh, a lot of people probably have said, oh, yeah, he's just not sharp. But I don't know. The golf is such a mental uh, battle, you know, in your own mind. And maybe when he gets there, something clicks on that he's gotten focused and he's he, he just like, hey, I'm home. And I think that's uh, why you see these guys that play well each year uh, continue to do that. So Bryson DeChambeau, as you mentioned, is the uh, the odds-on favorite going in. I guess it's going to be 145-mile-an-hour swing speed and a 200-mile-an-hour ball speed coming off the face, and, and he's going to carry it 370. I, I, I assume that that's what we've heard going in. Is it possible for Bryson DeChambeau to overpower this golf course in a way that nobody else can? I guess, yeah, he could. I think this the amazing thing about this golf course is it's a second-shot golf course and getting it on the proper side of the greens proper sections but one thing to credit him not just the length and his body changes how much he's improved his putting and we've talked about it before yeah. i mean he went from one of the worst putters uh to one of the top 10 just in the last year or so so that party's improved uh but i just think there's going to be some holes yeah he's going to be able to i mean listening to the monday tuesday practice rounds he's hit some pretty short clubs in there i just think the weather's going to be such a huge factor tomorrow and maybe even the next day they're trying to play in the rain we're not going to maybe be able to see those kind of 380 400 yard drives that you know he's capable of hitting i think the weather's going to kind of change a little bit of that um yeah he's going to take advantage on some holes 
but uh, I, I just think with the lack of rough, I still think the long, a long hitter is going to win. I think that's going to be a huge advantage, uh, especially with it playing so soft in the fairways. And, and it's just going to be a little different golf course than maybe we've seen. Probably more Bermuda, uh, listening to the guys because the, the overseas hadn't quite kicked in. But I just think weather is going to be the factor. What do you think Bryson's strategy will be at 13? Because especially on the weekend, that's one of the great, uh, yeah, just one of the great golf holes in tournament golf anywhere because of the different options and, and ball placement. And if you, you cut the corner left and you get to that flat spot and you got a chance to attack, what's his strategy going to be there on 13? I mean, he can take a three wood and hit it around the corner and still hit a seven iron in. I don't know that he's going to, I'm not saying he's not going to, but uh, is he going to take driver, try to blow it over the trees and hit wedge in? I mean, I think he can take a three-wood, turn it across there, and still hit six or seven iron in, which is fine. Uh, there's always talk, how do you stop these guys? And, and I don't know that you can. I mean, length, all the length does is help the long hitters when you try to make it longer. Uh, I think the green's severe enough. But, you know, there was talk, oh, yeah, he might blow it down into 14 fairway with his driver and come back in from that direction. So <laughs> that's a possibility. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't hit the ball like that. I mean, I was long, but... I guess things change like that. Uh, you know, there's only a few holes you really can kind of take advantage of that, or it's truly a, an advantage. Uh, but there's plenty of guys that hit it long. But I think it's a, such a great second-shot golf course, and the greens are so difficult. That's just one part of the equation. I think you've got to put it all together, and not just where length helps. Because Wings said he could hit it down there, even, but he drove it straight. But even if he hit it in rough, he's hitting the wedge where some guys were hitting six and seven iron out of that deep rough. So that's where it kind of separated those guys. Augusta, you don't have that kind of rough, so it may not separate them there as much as it did at Wingfoot. Jim, what's the experience going to be like for Andy Ogletree? Because he won the uh, the 2019 U.S. Amateur, he gets paired with last year's champion, Tiger Woods. We thought this was going to happen in April. Now it's happening in November. What's that experience going to be like for Andy tomorrow? I, I wish he could, you know, they stay in the crow's nest, they stay in there. I'm not sure if he's getting to or not. Uh, I think one night the guys get to do it, they kind of mix it around. He's just going to miss being out and play in front of the patrons uh, and get that whole experience like that. Uh, but as far as a week, I think it's going to be one he'll always remember. Uh, I think it's going to be an incredible adventure for him. Because here's the thing, I, you know, I've heard guys, hey, they, they've got they've got in the Masters and, Oh, they're going to turn pro. They're going to always have a chance. You're not guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed that you'll get in Augusta. So I'm glad that yeah. you know stayed in school to experience this. Because even when you get on the PGA Tour, you're not guaranteed that you're going to ever make it to the Masters. So you get that chance to do it. You've got to take it all in. I think for him is he just has to take it all in and just appreciate. Man, this is just the coolest experience. I grew up in Mississippi. And now look where I am. And all that hard work, the dreams as a kid have come true. And I'm proud of him, and I hope he has just an incredible week uh, and just kind of takes it all in and just enjoys the heck out of it. Last thing, Jim, you, you mentioned long hitters having the advantage. Does that mean that the winner most likely comes from some group of Brooks Kepka, DeChambeau, Morikawa, DJ, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Rory, I mean, is that the right group of names to be looking at for a winner? That's exactly a group I'd look at. And if you're looking for a dark horse or someone that may, I don't know why we keep calling him a dark horse, Xander Shoffley. Don't take him out of the mix. He's not maybe as sharp. He's always he in contention. Been. He's always in contention. He's plenty of long. He's got plenty of guts. He doesn't get riled. I just love his game. And he, like I said, he just kind of slides 
under the radar somewhat, but he's always there. Uh, and so that's the kind of guy I'd look for if you wouldn't get one of those. I think Rob's really, to me, has got as good a chance as anybody's playing great. He, he plays with that passion. He's got plenty of length. It's not that he's, he's not, he's, he, can, he can get it out there. But his short game, and I think he's grown as a player, and his maturity has really improved. Uh, and he's a guy I look to really give it a run come Sunday. How about that shot he hit on sixteen, skipping it across the water yesterday? That was pretty cool. I mean, that's I mean, it just that's the stuff that you you know we love that you get to enjoy. I think these guys are actually the practice rounds have been more fun because they've been able to relax. They don't not that they don't enter engage and get engaged with the the, the patrons. But it's just them out there by themselves. Because when I played my practice rounds, I always went out first thing in the morning because it was quiet. And you could hear every little thing, the birds and in, in the morning and the earth just waking up. I, I didn't go out there with all the hustle and bustle. I like to go out early where it's quiet and I could take it all in. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty special event. You know how much I always enjoy our conversations. I'm glad that we've gone another year talking about playing golf but not actually doing it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get we'll get this going forward. We'll play some golf, uh, uh, but I'm looking forward to Augusta, and it's going to be fun to watch it. And I can't wait to see, uh, you know, who pulls out and, and gets the green jacket on Sunday. Jim, you're the best. Hope to see you soon, my friend. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Jim Gallagher Jr., five-time winner on the PGA Tour, Ryder Cup champion, Presidents Cup champion, analyst at the Golf Channel, and all-around good dude. Great breakdown of all that's going on as we get set for Augusta. The Masters begins tomorrow. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Jim joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be right back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Many thanks to Jim Gallagher for spending half an hour with us on this Wednesday afternoon on the eve of the Masters. Always love the insight can you imagine what it would have been like? And, and I know Jim didn't ultimately get the uh, the green jacket in 1991, but to walk off 18 with the lead on Thursday after round one. And then you, you heard him say that that was at a time when they still reshuffled the pairings based on scores. And so he was went going off the final group on Friday. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, Borky? Yeah, I, I've never been in a situation where nerves have overtaken me, but that's also because I've never stood on the first tee at Augusta National. <laughs> if ever there was going to be a place. That, w- that would be the place, and that would be the situation. That just might be it. Um, if you could put yourself into one spot in sports, Ooh. what would it be? Hey, man, what would yours be? If you could take a snap as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, if you could stand at the free throw line in Game 7 with a chance to win the NBA Finals with a a Lakers jersey on. You know, honestly, I'd like to... I would like to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, if you hold that belt, aren't you sort of like the baddest guy on the planet? I'd like to be able to say that about myself one day. That that would be cool. Like imagine, you know, not that I could have beaten him or anything, but Haydad versus Mike Tyson for the world championship. Man, come on. How awesome would that have been? Brian Haydad standing in the ring in his silk shorts with his boots laced up to mid shin and no shirt, 
sweating, and, glistening. No one I'm about to get killed by Mike Tyson, but you know. That'd yeah. be something that'd be something to be cool. Porky, is it standing on the tee at number one at Augusta for you? It's well, it would be a standing on eighteen. What, with a chance to win? With a chance to win, striping the tee shot and then hitting the second shot to like eight feet with a two-putt to win, so you're walking up that fairway knowing that you've won the tournament. You're soaking it in all the way up. And it, yeah, either that or the cliche, something that everybody who is a fan of sports has done in their yard at some point, World Series, Game 7, yeah. bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, down by three, full count, and you send one over the left field wall. You just don't want to be Casey at the bat. <laughs> You don't want to be Mighty Casey striking out. I mean, who uh, has not done that in their backyard? Sports fans, tell me of this. Course, tell but... me what, what do you think would be what do you think would be cooler? Being a hitter with that walk off Grand Slam to win the World Series, or being Mariano Rivera as a closer with the opponent trying to do just that, and you getting a strikeout to win it all. The hitter. Because there's just more time where you're by yourself after the event. They got to let you get all the way around the bases. Boy, you got to take your time on that one. Well, you say that. I mean, look at Joe Carter, man. He ran around the bases. He did. Is that the only walk off game seven? I don't. Was Bill Mazeroski a game seven? I think it was. May have been. David Freeze hit it in Game 6, which right. might as well have been Game 7. Yeah, that was a guillotine game. There was no coming back. Yeah. I mean, Kirk Gibson has the moment that lives on forever, but that was early in the series. That was Game 1. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's crazy to think about. Mike in Oxford says, well, hey, Dad, you're definitely not qualified for the lightweight championship of the world. <laughs> and uh, Mike, I've seen your pictures. Don't, don't, don't act like that. Hey. Hey, Mike sent us a picture earlier today. Says that uh, said this was his home for five of six years in the Navy. Yeah, uh, making its way through the Suez Canal. Somebody said Joe Carter was Game Six. I was thinking that was Game Seven. Was it? It was a walk off World Series winner. May have gotten the game number wrong. I know it was a walk-off winner, but yeah. I yeah, uh, somebody says, uh, in the lead at Daytona. Okay. That's a cool one. That'd be cool. Racing fan. Uh, somebody says, add Maddox in his prime pitching, and that's me. Bill Mazeroski, the only Game 7 walk-off homer in World Series history. There you go. Good call. Good, uh, good call. Somebody suggested uh, quarterback in the Egg Bowl. David suggests uh, Haydad versus The Rock. <laughs> Somebody said they'd like to be Joey Chestnut. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I don't like hot dogs. So no. no. You know what the prize you. money is? Not the same as winning a World Series. So, Lane Kiffin. On the teleconference today, says that he thinks Ole Miss has three players in the COVID-19 protocols, did not make the distinction between whether these players have actually tested positive or if it's related to contact tracing. 
Ole Miss is coming off a bye week where players were allowed to leave campus and go home for the weekend. And I guess that would have been the first time since mid-July they were able to go home. Kiffin said he was concerned that the weekend away from the program might have caused an outbreak, but so far, so good. Here's his quote. Somehow, we tested Monday and Tuesday and somehow had all negatives, which was great. I was very concerned with everybody gone for the whole weekend and not being around. And then kind of an interesting twist at the end of his answer about COVID-19 with regard to the important distinction that postponements happen not just because of COVID, but because of the combination of positive tests, contact tracing, and injuries. He pointed out that it's not all about the positive test. It's about teams feeling comfortable about having the numbers to play a game with the amount of scholarship players that it has available. And Kiffin suggested that maybe some teams are using those numbers as a bit of a crutch. I think he was just theorizing or hypothesizing here. Here's the quote. I guess injuries are counting in those numbers that people can get out of playing. I don't know. Maybe some people don't want to play. Maybe their season's not going so good. So who knows? That's funny. And it's not the craziest conspiracy theory I've ever heard. Didn't we hypothesize about this like before the season began? Yeah. And I think, you know, this may not be what's happening down there, but I wouldn't put it past the people that use a hospital charity to funnel money (laughs) to recruits. Um Maybe LSU decided, you know, maybe we shouldn't play Alabama this weekend. You had some close contact with that positive, didn't you, Johnny? Yeah, you did. I I remember that. It was over 15 minutes, so you've got to sit, and you've got to sit, and you've got to sit. Nope. Hey, Greg. I got a position group. Can't play. Sorry. Going to have to reschedule. Maybe cancel that game we were supposed to play with Alabama. Really looking forward to that one. So it's a shame that we weren't going to play and lose by 35. I mean, uh, weren't going to play that very important game. So uh, sorry, but contact tracing, you know, that got us. All right, so let me ask you this. I'm being genuine when I ask this. You can't fudge the numbers on a COVID test. Because there's an outside entity that is doing the testing and they're sending the numbers directly to the SEC office. Can you fudge the numbers on contact tracing? I I guess you could outside your facility because they've got those Conexion monitors that monitor contact when you're inside the facility. So I guess it could be outside the facility. So it would take that or fudging the numbers on injuries to get you to the threshold if you legitimately were trying to opt out of playing a game. It could be done if they wanted it to be done. Not saying they did it, and Kiffin didn't say they did it, but if somebody, in theory, wanted to not... He was just thinking out loud. Yeah, and if somebody, in theory, didn't want to play Alabama the year after their coach was quoted in the locker room after the game saying, Roll Tide, what? Four-letter word that starts with F, you... Um, not wanting to play that game in which they would have gotten beat by five touchdowns, they could have done it. That's all I'm saying. It's a possibility that they could have done that. So they ain't coming, is what you're trying to say? And they, and they, and they, ain't ba- and they are backing down? We're coming. <laughs> Quinn says, 
You guys take on LSU <laughs> is always delusional. Quinn, my friend, you know that LSU was going to get smoked this weekend. Come on. It's okay to say that. You just went 15-0 and and won a national championship. One of the greatest seasons, if not the greatest season in college football history. But this weekend? But that was then. Uh, that wasn't going to happen. Hey, Dad, I have, uh, I have given you credit for the uh, phrase that has been used a lot lately. Would you care to roll it? Out there? Which one is I have so many. Which one? Quickly. Hey, hey, Quinn. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> yeah. New information was available, Quinn. William and Madison says, let's be honest, Borky. You're saying they did it. I, I'm not, but if... But I think you kind of are. If they wanted to do that, I they could have done you that. kind of are. Might just kind of be. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Ryan Brown will join us to start the 5 o'clock hour. That's coming up about 10 minutes from right now. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, and Brian Haydad. Put your commissioner hat on just for a second. Sorry, say again? I was going to ask you a question. Are you you doing a no-shave November? No. Okay. This is like the most facial hair I've ever seen you have. It looks like you've shaved in like three or four days. I haven't. Okay. But I don't ever. But, I, like I never actually shave anymore. I've shaved since, since um, March. Whatever the last basketball game I did on television was, um, March seventh, March eighth. I think I've actually shaved like with a razor once. I just do the little beard trimmer thing, and about every two or three days, I, you know, just zap it down to stubble and go from okay. there. I was wondering. I guess I missed a day. Sorry. Either well, that or the lighting's off. You don't have to apologize. It's like it looks dark. I was like, I wonder if he's going no shave November. Nah. Jane's not on board with that. I, I, I have said before. I might, you know, sometime over the holidays, grow a beard. And she goes, Ah, uh, no, you're not. I don't know yes, if there's some, playoff, some playoffs coming up. You need know, to get the playoff beard going. No. I am curious how it would grow in if I really let it grow out, though. I don't know if it would or not. I don't know. Put your commissioner hat on for a second. Your, your commissioner of the Southeastern Conference hat. Hey, now, you go first and Borky. Hey, I need you to uh, make a decision today on the best way to proceed for the rest of this season. What does that look like? Do I have to give you a real answer, or can I act like Sankey and make it completely uh, coach speaky? Uh, uh, yeah, I prefer not to have a word salad. Honestly, I feel like enough games are getting canceled that the idea of playing the, the championship game on the nineteenth seems like it's not going to happen. Okay. So you really. You really are going to just going to have to. You and the other power fives are going to have to put pressure on the semifinal games and tell them we are moving. Now I don't know who those are this year, and if one of them is the Rose Bowl, it's just the way life's going to have to go. But those bowl games are going to they're just going to have to move. I saw Andy Staples make a really good point a few minutes ago. He says you know, they can talk about oh we don't want to move these games, we don't want to move these games. If they have an outbreak on December the eighteenth, and and Alabama can't play in the SEC championship game, they're moving that game. 
No question about that, right? So just go ahead and admit that now, and let's let's start talking about playing the, 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 the championship games, the playoff games, and then the national championship game at a later date, and let's do it now while we still can so we don't Big Ten this situation and, and find ourselves in a spot where we can't do it down the road. I, I was not being proactive about that. May I punch a hole in your theory and ask a question? You certainly may, sir. Saturday, December 9th is six days before Christmas. Are you going to let your players go home for Christmas? I mean, I see, I see what you're getting at, obviously. But yeah, I mean, you're going to let them go home for Christmas, and you're just going to tell them do the best you can. But I don't know. That's why maybe you, you know, I don't know, January one for for the championship game. I don't know. I don't know what you do there. Yeah, but I mean, if they go home for Christmas, let's just say they've got to be back on Saturday the twenty sixth, just like they would if they were, you know, beginning bowl preparation. Right. That still only gives you. What five days of prep before you travel to Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the exact date needs to be, but you need to start preparing for the fact that you're probably not going to be able to play on the nineteenth. Okay, Commissioner Borky. It, well, uh, just a question here: Isn't it in the college football's best playoff or college football playoffs' best interest at this point to maybe move their decision back a couple of weeks and try to do that because now? You've got an interesting situation going on. Ohio State just lost a game. Yep. Oregon or whoever wins the Pac-12 certainly feels like it's going to be Oregon, but you know, any given Saturday, uh, we'll play fewer games. Do you think maybe you give them everybody a little bit more time to get everything done, so you can have a playoff without possibly leaving somebody out for circumstances beyond their control? Isn't it set up right now, Sugar Bowl, uh, Sugar Bowl, Rose Bowl on January 1? College football playoff semifinals are what day? Are they the second or are they the 31st? The second? And then the championship game is on the 11th? That sounds right. I'm about to uh, double-check you here. Um, Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl on the first, championship Monday the 11th. You got it right. And Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl are the... Are the semifinals? Those are the semifinals this year. They're just going to have to be made to understand it's not happening. Or you can have the Rose Bowl, but it won't be a playoff game. Yeah. That's something that I think they might need to consider now that this is directly affecting everybody instead of just the Pac-12. I think Big Bill Hancock's got to put his big boy pants on and say, yeah, Rose Bowl... This is what we're doing. Well, no, 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 we're we're not asking you. We're telling you. You can either be a part of it or not. 2020, in case you haven't noticed, is a little bit different than normal. We've been over backwards to work with you in the past. You can get on board or not. But if you don't get on board, we're just going to go play the game somewhere else. Seems like that's a conversation that maybe needs to happen. Ryan Brown will join us for the College Football Fix when we come back. With you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Glad to have you along. Don't forget, you can hit us up on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by C Spire plans. Get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Always fun to visit with our buddy Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham. He joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line 
right now. Who's winning at Augusta this week, Mr. Brown? My pick was Rory McIlroy to get the career grand slam finally. So I like it. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Rory, yeah. Kind of feels like, I, we were talking with Jim Gallagher Jr. about this earlier, and you know it's a course that favors long hitters so much, and it looks like it's going to be wet. It, it feels like you can just kind of take your pick out of that group of guys, Bryson, DJ, Rory, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, maybe a handful of others, and it feels like that's kind of the way to go with your picks this week, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, those are the best players in the world, uh, for one thing, but uh, they all happen to just hit bombs, so as wet as it is, and the wind, I think, is, you know, is a question, what kind of winds are they dealing with? Uh, but it looks like that tropical storm is is going to head up through there and really soak the joint down on Thursday and Friday. Um, so if it's that way, yeah, the bombers are the guys you want to go with there, I would say. And, and I do think DeChambeau, it's funny, uh, the local guy here is a uh, good friend of mine, is the uh, Cobra Puma rep. And he's always talking up DeChambeau to me and telling me the stuff DeChambeau's doing. He called me earlier today. Uh, because they'd gotten up a conference call and they were talking about where he was hitting some of his drives, like on 13, he had wedge left and into a part five. There's talk, you know, with favorable conditions, drive and wind behind him, that can drive the first green. It's just, it's going to be really re- interesting to see what he does in that course. Um, he would not be my pick to win, but he might be the most interesting guy to watch. If he drives number one, that is just an absolutely monster, massive, stupid tee shot. He, he himself has said in favorable conditions he thinks he could do it. Now, I think Nick Faldo said he'll run naked through Augusta if he does it. So let's hope we don't have to see that. But um, I, I don't know that Shambo would try it, tournament play. But uh, he's apparently just been hitting flip sandwich into it as it is. So, yeah. again, it'd have to be favorable conditions, you know, dry ball running out, downwind, those types of things. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, you know, I was pretty excited and am pretty excited about the idea of a November Masters. Certainly, I don't want to see it there all the time. But uh, this is not the weather that I envisioned. I, I was thinking, like, you know, low 60s, crisp, leaves popping, not cloudy and gray and rainy. Yeah, that's the sad part. Uh, you know, I, I thought the wind probably coming from a different direction than they're accustomed to there, and maybe a little more of it in the fall would really, you know, would be a huge difference maker. I obviously did not anticipate the rain. It's normally fairly dry this time of year, but I think the wind would be the big issue because, uh, you know, things like Augusta, these guys are trying to land the ball on a dinner plate, um, and you add a little wind, and it just becomes near impossible. And uh, I, I thought that would be really the big thing they'd have to deal with is just a different wind than they're accustomed to playing. But it looks like now it's going to be the rain. going to be the issue. Visiting with Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. I hate to do this, Porky. Let's uh, see if we can maybe hang up, call Ryan Bra- back, and get a little more solid connection. I think it's just going to be a little easier for us to keep going on the conversation like this. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi, our conversation with Ryan Brown as we transition away from golf and into college football is today's college football fix. It's driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Don't forget the holiday sales event is going on right now, which means savings on the full lineup of Ford vehicles, whether it's the Expedition for a family holiday, the F-150 for the biggest tree you've ever gotten, or maybe something else in the Ford lineup. 
college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So, Ryan, let's trans, uh, transfer or, or bounce away from golf and talk some college football. I, I posed this question to Hey Dad and Borky just a few minutes ago. I'll do the exact same thing to do uh, to you. I'm going to let you put your Greg Sankey hat on. You can be the commissioner of the SEC, and you need to make a decision on what the remainder of the season is going to look like from a schedule standpoint. What's your solution? So I, I and I apologize for the bad phone there. That one day you guys get my new photo. You get my new photo up. I get, you know I got a uh, big baller phone and I can't even stay connected. Um, so here's what I would do. I would first of all give priority as most as much as I could to division games, in division games. Okay. Um, so obviously Alabama LSU becomes a big issue. Um, I, my solution was this: you. Move Alabama LSU up to next week, which replaces Alabama Kentucky, which you move to the 12th. Um, LSU plays Florida on the 12th. And since you've moved LSU up, that takes away LSU Arkansas. So you play it on the 19th, the same day of the SEC championship game. Now, obviously, one issue there is Arkansas and LSU, at least at the moment, are mathematically alive for the SEC West division title. So in the event that game has any sort of West implications, you move it up to the 12th, you just no contest LSU-Florida, and you let LSU and Arkansas play for whatever implications are on the line there. Um, I I think common sense tells you you can safely assume LSU-Arkansas will have zero impact on the West by the time they play that game. Right. So that would be, I think that's an easy, clean solution that if you don't get any more cancellations, um, that, that that works out just fine. Now there is the other scenario that involves moving the LSU Ole Miss game. So you would have Alabama playing LSU on the fifth after, uh, after the iron bowl. And is that right? Yeah. And then I play Arkansas on the 12th and then LSU and Ole Miss play on the 19th. So those two options exist. I think my first one is cleaner. You know, you just move that Kentucky game back and you let LSU and Arkansas play it out on the 19th in a game that probably, you know, will have zero impact on anything but their record. The idea of moving the SEC championship game back to me is complicated because right now you're playing it on the 19th, which is six days before Christmas. If you try to push it back, you're not going to push it back to December 26th, so you really would probably have to push it back to January 1st or January 2nd. You get into complications with the college football playoff there, et cetera, and you also run the risk of, okay, if you let your guys go home for Christmas, what do they expose themselves to that they potentially bring back to the team? And again, you're looking at a potentially short window there if, COVID positives continue to explode and contact tracing is an issue? Well, I mean, all those things are a huge concern, obviously. And I I do think, you know, with all the money that's on the line here, you would like to think the five power conferences in Notre Dame, well, you really don't have to have Notre Dame this year because they're in the ACC. So the five power conferences could get on the same page and say, okay, we need to move this thing back a little bit. Because it would benefit the Big Ten, who got a late start and has already missed games. It would benefit right. the Pac-12, who couldn't even who couldn't even play Week One games. Um, so yeah, everybody would benefit from moving this thing back a little bit if the SEC and really the ACC, maybe even the Big Twelve, needed to the ones that started early. Your problem becomes probably the le- the most rigid, least likely to do anything out of the norm 
thing in this whole equation is the Rose Bowl, who has always said, by God, we are playing our game at 3 o'clock on January 1, 3 Central, whatever time it is, on January 1. And you can either be there or not be there, but that's when we're playing our game. And without any sort of movement from the Rose Bowl, you either have to find another place for one of those semifinal games, which you may do anyway, or, or or keep your current schedule because if the Rose Bowl isn't willing to move, you really can't start pushing things back. Because if you so, so why do you not? Why, why does Bill Hancock not just put on his big boy pants and tell the Rose Bowl, "This is how we're going to do it, and you can either play or not"? That's what I do. I mean, I guess it's easy for us to say it's what I would do, but yeah, that's what I would do. I well, first of all, you know, California is one of the most. Um, <laughs> I don't know the word I want to use here. But restrictive states. So the fact that you're even trying to play one of your semifinal games in California is a gamble anyway. Yeah. If I'm Bill Hancock in the playoff committee, I, I pause the rotation and say, we're going to find the state, probably Florida, the state where we have got the most leeway on things we can do. And if we have to play all three of the games in Florida, and we'll utilize you know Tampa, Orlando, Miami, however we choose to do it, that's what we're going to do. And that's how we're going to play the championships in Miami anyway. So just play the semifinal games in Tampa and Orlando and pick back up with whatever schedule you, you already have planned next year. And and that's just the way we do it. So I, I'm with you. I, I don't I don't know that it makes sense, even if you can pull it off on January 1, to leave California in this rotation. But Cal, look, and I understand Berkeley is a different city than Pasadena, but Cal – because of the restrictions in the city of Berkeley is talking yeah. about having to move off campus just to pull off a football season. Yeah. It's complicated. It's complicated everywhere yeah. we look. We've got more coming yeah. up with Ryan Brown. He is uh, co-host of the Jocks Roundtable on WJOX in Birmingham, making his, I don't know, I guess it's turned into pretty much a weekly visit with us on the Farm Bureau All phone right. line. We'll take... Yeah, I, I like that. I, I, I don't know that we've made that official, but I dig it. We'll take a timeout. More coming up with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, continuing our conversation with Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham. Always enjoy talking college football with him. So Greg Sankey jumped on the SEC teleconference today after the uh, the 14 coaches had their spin through the uh, through the cycle. Is there anything he said today that that really jumped out at you? Uh, he said uh, after I tweeted him my solution that uh, he said he's getting a lot of uh, scheduling options on Twitter, but he's not making his decisions based on Twitter. Yeah, so I guess he didn't like my suggestion that I gave you earlier. You you um, think you're the um the only one that was tweeting him? Probably not. <laughs> probably not. He's a very dry sense of humor, though. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did think it was interesting. Uh, I wondered how they were going to handle the tiebreakers. And apparently, you know, they, they kind of, I'm not going to say they snuck out their tiebreakers. They didn't make a big deal about it, but they did release finally what they were going to do. And, um, boy, it gets pretty deep in there. If you, if, if say, Say Texas A&M ended up with ten games and Alabama only eight, and the average, you know, was nine point two five, and Alabama's only got eight. You know, there, there, there's a possibility that the commissioner could intervene 
and build some sort of decision-making body who considers all the evidence and would say, no, Alabama is in the SEC championship, not Texas A&M. Um, I found that rather interesting today that they, they thought that far in advance, that if, if a team doesn't have enough games to meet the criteria, that the commissioner can intervene and rule in that team's favor. That wouldn't play into any conspiracy theories about <laughs> Alabama getting favor, would it? Uh, it wouldn't, but, you know, there, there were a lot of people around here concerned about that when it appeared that Alabama was going to lose the LSU game on Monday. Not lose the actual game, but the game be postponed. I, there's no one around here that thought Alabama was going to lose the actual game if it were played. No. Um, but, but it being postponed... Because then a lot of people, you know, are aware of the fact that winning percentage, you know, could come into play here. And if Alabama's, you know, if they happen to drop a game somewhere and they're eight and one, and Texas A&M's nine and one, Texas A&M has the better win percentage. And I think a lot of people wanted some clarity on that, and they gave clarity on that today and said head to head is going to take precedence over everything else, as it should. Sure. But you know, I, but the SEC doesn't want to get uh, to, to your point. They don't want to get in a situation where they're having to rule for Alabama or for Florida or anyone like that. Which is why I, I think once they release those criteria and that tiebreaker, it shows you they're going to do everything they can to make these games up. I mean, they're not just going to punt on Alabama, LSU, and say, "Well, we didn't, we, you know, we didn't get to play it. We tried." Um, I, I think the the SEC will do everything within their power to get those games played. And, and for that matter, Florida LSU too. Florida could potentially need that game at the end of the year to have enough games to meet that criteria and to avoid any sort of special ruling from the SEC office. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, one of the games that is still scheduled for this week, and I guess things could, could change, uh, although they have not to this point, and there doesn't appear to be a lot of evidence that's going to uh, change, always host South Carolina. And um, Ole Miss is coming off an open date. Last time we saw them, they played Pretty darn good game against Vanderbilt. I know it's Vanderbilt, but they played well regardless. South Carolina looked brutal the last time we saw them uh, against Texas A&M. Any thoughts on this matchup? Well, I think it's interesting, you know, against Vanderbilt at least, I thought Matt Corral probably had the best game he's had since the Alabama game. Um, You know, in the Alabama game, he looked like an NFL quarterback. And, you know, his play, obviously, the very next week, he probably had the worst game that he's had uh, since the Alabama game. So, you know, he had his best and his worst back-to-back, but I thought against Vanderbilt, uh, he played terrific. So I think it'll be interesting to see if he can pick up where he left off there. But you're right about South Carolina. You know, they, they peaked out beating Auburn a few weeks back, and then they have followed that up with some absolute stinkers. And it, I think it's probably got Will Muschamp on his hottest seat as anybody in the Southeastern Conference. So, you know, I think he probably comes in a pretty desperate coach. I do I do find that game very interesting for those storylines to see if Matt Corral can keep up his play. You know, quarterbacks have had some success of late against them. And to see just how desperately South Carolina's coaching this game. And I know they were talking about a quarterback change too. So uh, I think everything's on the table for Will Muschamp right now. The the idea of uh, I think I read this earlier in the week, the idea of getting rid of Will Muschamp is just so incredibly expensive. And I, yeah. I think, Red, it would be the largest buyout that had to be paid out by a school if they fired him before January 1st that has uh, has happened in college football history, surpassing what Charlie Weiss got uh, a few years ago. Um, is there any way to pull that off financially in the environment that we're in right now, even if South Carolina really wants to make a change? Um, Jimmy Sexton remains undefeated, by the way. 
Um, good point. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, there's a question of can you financially pull it off and can you public relations-wise pull it off? Because you've already got schools in the SEC dropping sports. And if if schools are dropping sports and if South Carolina happens to have to drop one and you're turning around and paying a coach, what is it, $14 million? Is that what it is? 12, 14 Seems million? Seems like 18.9. Like 18, yeah. Um, you know, even if that's staggered, you know, and then, you, you know, what all, people always forget, you got to pay buyouts of assistant coaches. Right. And then you have to flip around and probably pay a buyout of the coach you hire um, at, at some school. So, you know, you're, you're talking a potentially $20, 24000000 million investment in this one deal. And even if you're paying it out over five or six years, I don't know if anybody knows financially what these next couple of years are going to look like. And South Carolina is not at the, at the high end in the revenues in the SEC. They're not up there with the Alabamas and the Floridas and Georgias of the world. So, I mean, I, I don't know that you can pull that off. I mean, I think Will Muschamp will probably coach himself into a situation where it would make sense, but I don't know that you can pull that one off this year. Ryan, when you look at the SEC top to bottom, it's clear that Alabama has separated itself from everybody in the West. It's clear that Florida has separated itself from everybody in the East. If you take those two out of the equation, what do you make of the rest of the league? Well, I think the interesting thing there is Texas A&M. You know, some people would argue they're the second-best team in the conference right now. And obviously Florida beat them on the field, so that that challenges that argument a little bit. Um, Or, excuse me, they beat Florida, so... challenges the argument to say Florida is the second-best team is the way I meant to say that. Um, so, you know, I, I think they're an interesting team because if you think about it, Richard, they probably, if, if Alabama's undefeated, Texas A&M would have the, the best chance of a one-loss non-conference champion of making the playoffs from the right. ACC. And, and maybe I, in the country. I, think, I mean, I, I guess Clemson would be the other argument. Yeah, Clemson, um, but yeah, but you know they can't be a one-loss non-conference champion, really. I mean, if they lose that conference championship game, they'd have two losses. Notre Dame would be your argument. Yeah, it's because a good point. Notre Dame could go play play that conference championship game and, and and lose it to Clemson and have the one loss. And I do think they would get in in front of Texas A and M because they would have that Clemson win on their resume. But you know, there for a little bit, Texas A and M probably lined up as that team. But beyond that, I mean, once you get past Texas A and M, Georgia is is. Good, but they're just not. Alabama blew them out, and Florida blew them out, so they're clearly not on that level. Uh, you got a bunch of stuff that's just grouped together, and then the way State is playing of late, they're down there, and then Bandy's down there. But you know, I think when you get into the Auburns and South Carolinas and Tennessees and Arkansas's and Ole Misses of the world, you got a lot of teams that look a lot alike, and any team could beat any team on a given day. I think out of that group, you mentioned Mississippi State just a second ago. Uh, we've had so much conversation about uh, it's just going to take time with Mike Leach at his previous stops, year number one, sometimes years number one and year number two didn't look great, but then the system got in, he got his guys in, and it turned around. Uh, are you a believer that, once again, Mike Leach, with a little bit of time, will get things moving in the right direction? Or have you seen enough to go, mm, don't think this is going to work in the SEC? Well, he, he always has, but it requires a couple things. It requires patience and it requires a thick skin. Because just like the other day when Mike Leach started telling fans, if you, if you don't have the patience and you don't like it, you know, you can go find another team to root for. 
this is vintage Mike Leach running players off and, and telling players, you know, if you're a malcontent, you can go do that somewhere else. This is vintage Mike Leach. This shouldn't surprise anyone. He's done this at Texas Tech and at Washington State. And given if you give him patience, he's always gotten his system in and it has worked. But it also takes a thick skin. You've got to be willing for him to occasionally roll players under the bus. He does that. you got to be willing for him to say things like he said in his press conference the other day. If you don't have patience and you're not willing to wait this out, just go pull for another team. Uh, the guy's cut from a different cloth, man. And he says weird and crazy things. And he's not afraid to say what he's thinking most of the time. So I think it, as much as patience, it requires a thick skin as a fan to accept that your guy's going to run some players off that you probably like, the Kylan Hill type guy that you like. And he's going to say some things that might make you uncomfortable as a fan. But if you can get through that, it's always worked. And, and I mean, that's the hope on the other side is that, that it's always worked. I mean, at Texas Tech and at Washington State, twice, he had teams that were in the thick of their conference race in late November. And those are far from conference powers. So if you're state, you hope – you hope you're that again. And, and I mean, the track record says you can be if you'll stick with it. Yeah. We will see. I, I guess that's one of those where time is the only thing that we'll, uh, we'll tell. Yeah. Enjoy the Masters and a uh, little bit of college football this weekend. Thanks, as always, for your time, Ryan. All right, boys. Y'all be good. Have a good weekend. That is Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham, WJOX, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Got something tomorrow coming your way that I think is going to be really cool. If everything goes according to plan, uh, we will have a first-time guest joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. In the 3 o'clock hour tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, we are scheduled to visit with the human highlight film, Dominique Wilkins, former Georgia Bulldog, former Atlanta Hawk, one of the greats. Hey, Dad, what do you remember about Dominique playing? I mean, the slam dunks. How can you not? That's not going to be the first thing, right? Him and Jordan going head to head in the slam dunk competition. The Hawks were really good back then, too. I mean, they had they had good players. They they were always a, a a team that was just like they always felt like they were on the cusp of becoming a really great team, and they just never got over the hump. They would always lose in the second round of the playoffs to the Celtics or the Pistons or whoever. Uh, Dominique Wilkins participated in five slam dunk contests. He won twice. Uh, finished third in 1984 behind Larry Nance and Julius Irving. He beat Michael Jordan in the finals in 1985. They did not have a rematch in 86 because Jordan was injured. Do you happen to remember who won the slam dunk contest in 1986? Is it Kenny Skywalker? It was not. Uh, Spud Webb. Spud Webb. Five, what, six? Uh, on a good day, I think, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Porky, do you remember anything about Dominique Wilkins? Uh, no. As a player? No. Yeah. Uh, his I uh, was seven. Uh, his last year in the NBA. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that little stint at the end where he played with the Clippers for a year and the Celtics for a year and San Antonio for a year and Orlando for a year, not really um, what stands out about his career. No. But, uh, Quite I mean, familiar the, with who he is, though. Just didn't yeah. didn't get to see him play. 
By the way, Dominique is going to be at the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge coming up this weekend. He will be there on Saturday from 4 o'clock until 8 o'clock. So if you're stopping by the Sportsbook to uh, take in a little Masters, to take in a little college football, you can uh, you can meet Dominique. He's going to be signing autographs and doing kind of a meet and greet with uh, folks there as uh, as well. One of the uh, one of the most electrifying players in the history of the uh, NBA. Looking forward to uh, talking with him tomorrow afternoon. Um we haven't talked about this a ton this week just because there's been so much other stuff going on and we don't have a bunch of games to get to. So, looking at point spreads this week. Kentucky is a 17-point favorite at home against Vanderbilt. Oh, guess what? That game is also possibly getting moved and or canceled. So, Are you serious? Hasn't been yet, but there's concern. Well, lovely. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I, I said this. This is bad to say out loud, but I'm going to say it anyway. I bet the Masters is kind of pumped about all this. You still got a bunch of football that's scheduled to happen this weekend, though. You just don't have right. much SEC football. But now you have Ohio State out, Alabama LSU out. It just makes things a little bit easier for people to watch them instead of the football. I guess that's true. So we'll see what happens with Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Does it also feel like it's getting easier after a couple of games have been postponed for other people to go, yeah, we're not going to play this week either? Is the issue on the Vanderbilt side or the Kentucky side? Apparently it was the Kentucky side. That's strange because, I mean, Vandy's been struggling. I mean, they had 58 last week. Yeah, they've been hanging on by a thread. Mm. Um, Florida is a 17-and-a-half-point favorite against Arkansas at home. Feels about right. I mean, as good of a story as Arkansas is, there's just a roster discrepancy that I they just can't overcome. Yeah. And Ole Miss is an 11-point favorite against South Carolina. And the total for that game, by the way, is 70. Boy, that's big. But, I mean, it depends. South Carolina is so fascinating, right? Because I don't think Colin Hill can light up even a bad defense. He he was awful last week, and he has been bad. And the offense, I mean, I've ragged on it for weeks. I am shocked that it took a 48-3 to blowout for them to give Holinsky a shot. I just I look at Vanderbilt scoring 21 on Ole Miss and South Carolina scoring 41 on Vanderbilt. And I just think that, I mean, Ole Miss will probably win the game like 49-28 or something like that, which, you know, gets you over. Yeah. I mean, I guess the one thing that I would say about Vanderbilt scoring, one of those touchdowns was late when they'd kind of changed things up and the game had been in hand for a while. But, I mean, they scored the points nevertheless. Well, they hit their season high in the first half, which was 12. But they did it. That's a good point. I tweeted that some guy got mad at me. He was like, you're not putting that into context. I was like, I'm just making a joke about how bad Vanderbilt's been. Lighten up. Yeah. Um. Does the 11-point spread do anything for you? I think Ole Miss will cover it relatively easily. It's a testament to how much points and yards Ole Miss has given up defensively, generally speaking. I mean, that's what it is, is... 
Uh, I don't think anybody expects South Carolina to slow that offense down. But they should have some success on the ground because in large part due to the fact that Ole Miss hasn't really been able to stop anybody on the ground. And I think South Carolina is pretty good there. Um, so, yeah, it's only that small, I think, because of Ole Miss's defense. Does the pace of the game and the pace that South Carolina wants to play, which is slow it down, does that make you hesitant at all to look at that over, the 70? I mean, I know you threw out a score a second ago, 49-28, and that would be an over. I understand that. It's a good question because South Carolina does play slow. It's a very slow, methodical offense, but then... I mean, what do they do? Because they're they're kind of stubborn, right? They've been down and still tried to do things the exact same way all season long. But if Ole Miss gets up, you know, 7, 14, 17 points early, does South Carolina try to open it up a little bit and, and maybe try to score? But it didn't feel like they did that last week against Texas A&M. Kind of felt like they just did their thing and didn't let the score alter the way they did things at all. Um it was kind of bizarre, almost, to watch. It didn't seem like they played with much of a sense of urgency. And it's hard to quantify something like that, so I hate talking about it, but it felt to me, especially in the second half of that game, that that was a South Carolina team that didn't exactly care to be there anymore. Yeah. And there's no stat you can point to to say that, so it's hard. But that watching that game, I felt like that team quit, that they did not care to be there. Ryan Brown mentioned earlier, you know, uh, Will Muschamp may be coaching for his job. You know, what? It, how does that change things? Coaching for your job is one thing. you got to have players rallying around you and playing for your job. And there's got to be an inspired performance. And there was nothing inspiring about South Carolina. Right. You can say that he was coaching for his job last week. And look at what they did. Yeah. This might be a situation. I know COVID has really screwed a lot of things up. And South Carolina just put a lot of money into facilities there. So maybe having to ask boosters for a buyout would be really tough. But they're in a situation where I feel like they would be more apt to make a change than Auburn, for example. I think they are at a point where here's Clemson again, competing for another national championship again, with players all over the field that they're getting from everywhere. And here we are, just down the road, stinking out loud. Uh, We can't do this anymore. And so there is more of an angst to do it there than most anywhere else. Even a place like Tennessee or something like that. I think they're more motivated to make a change there. And it, it will happen if this kind of stuff continues. It's just so much money. It is so much to ask. And they, I mean, I'm telling you, they just did a big facility project. Somebody get Darius Rucker on the horn. Going to need him to, to I don't know if the hootie money will pay for that either, but it's wild. I, I mean, it, this isn't like see, I had somebody Yeah, you you may be you may be barking up the wrong hootie tree. It may be Hootie Johnson that they need to write a check on this, <laughs> not is, is he Darius a Hootie. Alum? I didn't know that. Uh, see, I don't think this is the same thing. I had somebody ask me if if it was the same thing as Auburn and Alabama, where Alabama is having all the success and Auburn is not. But you can say what you will about Gus Malzahn. They're not losing at Auburn. They may not be winning, but they're not losing. They're always pretty good. They're always recruiting well, going to bowl games, played in a national championship. Like They're there. They're just not as good as Alabama. South Carolina is losing to everybody, not just to, to Clemson every year. 
It's a different situation, and that comparison I don't think is fair, but I've heard it lately. Well, I didn't know Robert McNair went to South Carolina. Talking about the former owner of yeah, the Texans. So the Houston Texans, family, Carolina fans, get them to do it. I don't know. Sports Talk Mississippi with a Super Talk Mississippi media production.